you want to hear from God today? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese to tell us how. God can and does still speak to man today. When we read the Bible, we hear his voice clearly. He speaks to us. As clear as he's speaking to John, he did not have a superior privilege than us, just in a different way. You speak to someone by phone, I write a letter. We both communicated. The method was a little different, but we communicated. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Apart from a painting or a movie depiction, have you ever wondered what Jesus really looks like? Well, our Heavenly Father has sent us a picture of His Son, and it can be found in the book of Revelation. Today, as he continues in the brand new series from the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier helps us gain a better view of our precious Savior. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 20, and the message is entitled, The Unveiled Glorified Christ. Have you ever thought about the fact that there's no real description of Jesus in the Gospels anywhere? We're not told whether he has green eyes, hazel eyes, brown eyes, whether he's short and vertically challenged or whatever. There's no descriptions of him, nowhere. Yet we have all kinds of descriptions of men throughout history, who they were, how tall they were, what they looked like. Nothing. Now we do have some portraits of him in the Old Testament, Isaiah 52, 53, of the uh, mutilated body of Christ as he would be the Lamb of God, as he would be whipped and scourged and beaten and uh, not even be recognized as a man. But nothing of his person during his earthly existence. The only description of Jesus is the one given here by John in the Revelation. And it is one of the glorified Christ unveiled to the world. And this is the way God wants the world to understand Jesus. That he is one who has conquered. He is one who is reigning. He is one who is coming. He is one who has all and complete authority. John has pronounced this prologue to ensure that all that we read in the generations thereafter, as he wrote it, would be ensured that it's a divine revelation. It is not the story of men or the fictitious uh, recordings of men, but that it's divine revelation from God. He now relates his vision of the glorified Christ, uh, which is characterized by three things. And it's here in verse 9 through 20. Let me read for us. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ, was in the island of, that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and his mouth went out a two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell to his feet as dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I live forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. The vision of the glorified Christ, right at the beginning of the revelation, to understand who is the victor. And here it's characterized, first of all, in verse 9 through 11, by the impressionable voice of the vision. Secondly, in verse 12 through 16, the incredible person in the vision. And then third, in verse 17 and 20, the inescapable perception of the vision. And so let's begin here with the impressionable voice of the vision, verse 9 through 11. Notice verse 9, the identity of the person, I, John. This is actually the third introduction that John gives. He gives the first one in verse 1, the next one in verse 4. This is the third introduction that he gives, a little different than most epistles. Five times John identifies himself as the author. Revelation 1, 1, 1, 4, 1, 9, 21, 2, and 22, 8. And yet you'll read commentators that are critical in nature, and they say, John didn't write the Revelation. Interesting. Notice the humble perspective of John. It's threefold. That he was a companion in tribulation like they. In other words, he was not above them, but he was one of them. It's always admirable to see men and women who have been used by God, whether it be in a great way or in a very obscure way, but they've been faithful. And regardless of what God has done through them, they remain humble. They're with the people. They don't put themselves above the people. That, that's rare. Because our pride and humanity in itself leads us to go the other way. The world's agenda, everything else tells us that everything's an ascending scale, but really the kingdom of God is descending. The way up in the kingdom of God is down. <laughs> it's not like the world. The word tribulations there means a pressing together, a crushing. It's used for the crushing of grapes and of olives. This is the tribulation he's under. The persecution is on. Jesus told his disciples, as you know, in John 16, 33, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, we must make a distinction between the tribulation that John says he's in here with others, which comes from Satan and the fallen world and our own stupidity at times, and the great tribulation that would come from the throne of God, the wrath of God that he's going to reveal from chapter 6 on to the end. We must make that distinction. Otherwise, you put the church in the tribulation. In fact, Paul the Apostle confirmed that when you're a Christian, it isn't pie in the sky. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, he exhorts them, he says, that they must enter through much tribulation the kingdom of God. New converts. That's good to tell people. Because sometimes I think the gospel is westernized today. And we tell them that if you come to Jesus, everything will be solved. Everything will be great. Boy, you'll get rich. You'll have a job. You'll drive a Rolls Royce, everything else. Westernized. The gospel says, now you're in the kingdom. Now you're going to have to go through a lot of heavy things. Now, how many of you accept the Lord if they told you that? Because that's what you did. Peter says we shouldn't think it's strange in 1 Peter 4.12 when fiery trials come upon us. Because now you're light in a dark world. 
Now you're an enemy of the world, not an enemy of God. And since they can't get to God, they get to you. Notice, secondly, that he was in the kingdom like they. The kingdom was already present and active. Chapter 1, verse 6, we're a kingdom of kings and priests. God is reigning in us. He is using us. The kingdom is present in the world. But the kingdom is yet to come. It's not completely fulfilled. At the end of Revelation, we'll see that chapter 20, 21 and 22. The kingdom age and the eternal aspect of it. But it's coming. But it's already present. So he is one like all others. No different. And then the patience of Jesus Christ. This describes how he was going through the difficult time. This is very important. Patience, steadfast, consistent endurance. That's what it means. Not simply biting the bullet, but growing and maturing and learning from it. God wants you and I to go through the difficult times depending on the Lord so that I learn and grow from that experience in a loving way because my motive to be faithful is my love for him. And so we're to grow and mature through the difficult experiences. Suffering has always purified the church. Comfort has always polluted the church if you study history. Notice the location was the island of Patmos. The island off the Aegean Sea in the Mediterranean, there 25 miles off the mainland, and about 40 miles west, southwest of Miletus. Miletus was the island that Paul met with the Ephesian elders for the last time, remember. This was an island of rocky volcanic material. It was a place about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide at the north end, and it was used as a prison camp for many upper echelon criminals, political criminals, and they would be sent there. There were mines there that they would have to work. Uh, Tacitus, the historian, tells us that. Now, Hippolytus tells us that John was exiled there after they attempted to boil him in oil, but he didn't die. And Eusebius mentions John being banished there by the emperor Domitian in 95 AD and then later released 18 months later by Nerva. So there's plenty of historical uh, evidence outside of the scriptures that kind of gives us greater information to the brief description of the place he's there and for the reason he's there. In fact, Domitian, you know, died in September 18th. We've mentioned that before, 96 AD. And therefore, the book of Revelation had to have been written in 95 or 96 because as we've seen, the book of Revelation was not written when he came back to Ephesus. The tenses and the way it's written, he wrote it as he was seeing the vision at the time in the island and then came back to Ephesus with the entire revelation. In fact, Irenaeus tells us that John did return to Ephesus. What an incredible church. What great pastors. Paul, the founder. Timothy, next. Then John, the beloved. Man. And you know what? The very first church we're going to study, that's the first church he addresses. He says, you have left your first love. What's up with that? Three great pastors. Expound the word. What's the problem? The heart of the people. Church can go bad because of the heart of the people, not the word of God. That's one potential. It's not the only one. But that's the first one he addresses. Notice the reason was that he was there for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel message of salvation, simply put. He ministered the gospel. That was against Roman law. He said Jesus was the only way. That's too narrow. Does that sound familiar today? <laughs> Interesting. 
Notice verse 10, the indicated manner of reception of the vision uh, is stated. John tells us that it was the Lord's day. Many interpret this to mean Sunday. And the reason being because the phrase appears only one other time in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, where it's used for the Lord's Supper. And that's the only two times it appears. Now, others take this to mean that John was literally taken to the future to the very day. Now, the objection to this interpretation by many is that the only two appearances deal with the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper. But the context is very important. It is very evident that here in the book of Revelation, in this verse 10, the Corinthians is clearly being addressed to Sunday. Here in the book of Revelation, it is not about Sunday. It is not about gathering. It is about the wrath of God to come. Though he doesn't use the phrase, the day of the Lord, I believe that's exactly what he's talking about because of the content and the context. All right? So I believe that John was taken clearly up uh, many times in chapter 4, verse 2, 3, 10, 13, 10. It says, and I was caught up in the spirit. And the spirit was taking him right to the place and the vision was revealed to him. Certainly no one would deny the content and context of this book and we have to interpret it uh, within that. Now, John heard behind him, notice, a loud voice as of a trumpet. Very important. The voice was impressive and caught his attention. This is what is called a simile. A simile is a figure of speech showing comparison introduced by one of two words, like or as. Here it says that it was not a trumpet, but as a trumpet or like a trumpet. Like if you say, you know, you should have seen him. He ran fast as lightning. You don't mean he's lightning. You're trying to communicate in a figurative way that he is very, very fast. And what he's saying here is that he heard a voice that caught his attention. It was loud. And listen, this is the thing about trumpet. It is distinct. A trumpet gives a distinct sound. And it's understood. And that's what he's talking about. Notice the identity in verse 11 of the voice and intent was declared, proclaiming to him his commission. The one speaking was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. The first and the last letter of the alphabet. In other words, he is the eternal one. He is the source of all things. He is the end of all things. He is creator. There's no one else besides him. He's sustainer. He's the judge of all mankind. He is everything from A to Z. Only the book of Revelation refers to God as Alpha and Omega. You find it nowhere else four times. Revelation 1.8, 1.11, 21.6, Only the book of Revelation. He is everything. Notice the Lord Jesus command John to write. To write in the book what he saw in the vision. And commissions him to send it to what? The seven churches in Asia. This would include the entire book of Revelation. So these churches will receive the entire book, not just the letter itself, not just the one letter, but all seven letters, all the revelation. Only what John saw, he wrote. This is divine revelation. What he wrote was what God revealed. None of the words and the visions recorded were his own. 
making this divine inspiration. Revelation is revealing. Inspiration is for recording without error and without mistake. Big theological word, plenary verbal inspiration. Inerrant, infallible. God not only reveals things about himself, but he allows the ability to record them in a way that there's no error or no fallibility. Can you handle that? <laughs> hmm. There are 13 direct references given to John to write. I won't give them to you. Look for them. 13 times to write, 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 write. <laughs> All seven churches, notice, are chosen by Jesus, and they're given by names, which the letters we will take one at a time. And there's some very specific things that he deals with each church, giving the condition of it, warnings to repent, promises, rebukes. These seven churches were located there in the area of uh, Asia Minor, modern-day uh, Turkey. And this, these seven churches did not comprise all of the churches. There were many other churches. Why these seven? Well, there were others in existence, but as we look at seven, seven is used to represent a number of completeness many times in the Scriptures and certainly in the book of Revelation. And it's the complete representation of the church and its condition as we look at it and the entire church age. Looking at these seven churches, you will look and you will be able to assess the different conditions the church can be in or will go through and what they're to do about it. Often the number seven, as I said, represents completeness. And um, this is very evident in the book of Revelation. If you've read it completely, you know there's seven churches, there's seven spirits, seven stars, seven lampstands, seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven angels. Uh, 54 times the number seven appears in the book of Revelation. By the way, all seven churches, as I say, will receive all of them. So they're not only to pay heed to their condition, but they're to pay heed that they don't fall into the other conditions. And so they're applicable for all of us today. In fact, uh, all of them, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, they were real local churches of that day. And they also occupy and represent a period of history of the church, as we'll see. And they represent a type of church that can exist today. And they represent a type of Christian that can exist today. This can be either an Ephesian church, a Smyrna church, a Pergamos church, a Thyatira, a Sardis, a Philadelphia, a Laodicea. Or you can be a type of Christian like that in a church. You can examine yourself. When Joshua saw the man with the sword drawn, remember, we just finished Joshua. And he went out to spy the land for before Jericho. He said, are you for us or for our adversary? And the man said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Incredible vision. This is John. He sees the glorified Christ. Battle's all over. The war's been won. He's standing at the right hand. Each of us as Christians have heard the voice of God as much as John. We hear the voice of God clearly if we're Christians. When you first heard the gospel, be it in a concert, be it in a church gathering, whatever it was, you heard the voice of God, so did I, to convict you of your sin 
to convict you of your sinfulness and you repented from your sin. You heard his voice clearly. Now that you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, when we read the Bible, we hear his voice clearly. He speaks to us as clear as he's speaking to John because this is his word. He's the word of life. When we disobey, we hear his voice clearly. <laughs> when we ask for direction and guidance, we hear his voice clearly as he guides us. When we ask him, Lord, what is your will? How do you want to use me? And he guides us into ministry, we hear his voice clearly. We have the same privilege as John. He did not have a superior privilege than us, just in a different way. You speak to someone by phone, I write a letter. We both communicated. The method was a little different. But we communicated. God can and does still speak to man today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says that God at different times and in diverse manners spoken times past to the Father by the prophets, but as in these last days spoken unto us by his dear Son. So the Son is the ultimate revelation. As I've already mentioned, we heard him when we heard the gospel for conviction, now that we're Christians, for guidance, for wisdom, for all of that. But it has to be according to the Son and the gospel. But God also has promised that he can still speak through dreams and visions. Peter tells us that in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, quoting Joel. In your last days, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. I never had a vision as a young man. I'm getting to be an old man. Maybe I got a dream. I don't know. But as of yet, I haven't. But I'm open. But God can still speak that way. The important thing to understand is if God does speak in a dream or a vision, and it is from the Lord, then it will not contradict Add to the word or take away from the word. This is the plumb line. You judge it by the word. And if it is a dream or a vision from God, God will interpret it, not a man. Because I don't read the gift of interpretation of visions or dreams in the New Testament. In fact, the Old Testament, Joseph told Pharaoh, God will give you the interpretation of your dream. Interesting, huh? Nebuchadnezzar, God gave Daniel the interpretation to the vision. So you go back to God. And if it is God, it'll be in accord with the scriptures. Don't add to it. There are some weird things that go on in the church today. People come up with some real interesting interpretations that contradict the word of God. They put themselves off as prophets for today. And they try to put themselves off as more spiritual than they really are. It's wrong. So there's a caution. I'm open. But God doesn't contradict himself. He uses his word as the plumb line. Very, very important. What does Jesus commission you to do for him? Are you being obedient to that? Even as he told John, write and send these letters. Are you fulfilling your ministry? Even as Paul tells Archippus and Colossians, fulfill your ministry. Has your commission or what you know that God wants you to do, has it caused you to be more humble? Or has it exalted and puffed up your head? It is amazing how easily we get puffed up. <laughs> it doesn't take much. It really doesn't. And the greatest test of our life is as God uses to remain under, to be clear-headed. Are you giving God the glory? That's the bottom line. 
John certainly did here. He makes himself one with the people. I'm just like you. I'm here for the gospel. I'm companion in tribulation, the patience of Jesus Christ. Pastor Xavier Reese reminding us that it's all about Jesus when it comes to who deserves our glory. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging study from the book of Revelation called The Unveiled Glorified Christ. You can pick up a copy for just $4 on CD. And make sure you pass it along to a friend or loved one when you're through listening. The title to ask for once again is The Unveiled Glorified Christ. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, it's hard to resist a good court drama on TV or in the movies, but Pastor Xavier Reese says no one will miss God's final judgment bringing the ultimate order in the court. Next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com